You are listening to the weekly Great Governance podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. So last week we had the State of the Nation address and I always say that the President delivers the speech but the State of the Nation really depends on all of us and from the speech that the President made it is very clear that government doesn't create jobs, business actually creates jobs. And if you look at the statistics from that speech, the President said that 80% of all people employed in South Africa are indeed from the private sector. And so today it's my great pleasure to introduce you a private sector company that is working to solve complex youth societal problems through the use of technology in the municipal space. So today I've got Dale Simons with me. So Dale, welcome on our platform. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be on this platform. Great stuff. So Dale, tell us in one minute, you are the MD of a company called Middle Technologies and you also run a foundation. So what is it that this company actually do in South Africa? Thanks for the opportunity to talk about Mido. Mido was just an idea. I left my corporate career behind in 2012. I was an IT director and I had two teams taking care of business information systems and your normal IT systems. And uh, when I left corporate, I had this great idea to be just another IT company and do great services to the industry. But uh, I presume God had other plans and we sort of started doing technology for education, training teachers and uh, fixing labs. I have a lot of friends who are teachers at schools and they would always say Dale please come and help our computer lab is not working and um, I thought it was a side hustle I wasn't making money out of it for me it was just to help the school and help get our kids a great education and that's how sort of Mido started um, in 2012. So the company is present in the Cape or, or, or is it based? Yeah, we're based in Jamestown in Stellenbosch. That's where my hometown is. I started Mido from my living room, just myself, as I said, with my network of people or my village, calling in favors, asking people to help in schools. And uh, our first contract, or my first contract came along in 2013 with the Rupert Education Foundation in Franjuk Schools, where we got involved from a project management point of view. You guys also have the foundation. How is the foundation separate yes. to the technology company? Yes. So when I started the business, Holland, as I said, I wanted to have a full-blown IT business for profit. And my target market, funnily enough, was the agriculture sector. Um, because of my previous experience, I know systems and agriculture quite well. And I thought, let me start there. So we started a for-profit business. And that, for me, also was key because although my heart was to do the work for the community, my head said we needed to make a profit to be sustainable. Yeah. And uh, in South Africa, there's no clear definition for a social enterprise. And it was always difficult receiving donations or grants to do the work that we do. So in 2018, we formed the Mido Foundation with a very clear mission, changing lives through technology. For those of us that are now not familiar 
with this term digital citizenship. This is something that you introduced me to in December. What is this thing called digital citizenship? And how do we as Odin South Africans make sense of digital citizenship? I think the conversation around technology sort of evolved over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, people were talking about computer skills. You need to have computer skills. Mm. And that basically, when they said that, they meant you needed to be able to use Excel and Word and send an email. And as you know, from your own experience today, that is far from enough in terms of what is required from a person. So we've evolved from having computer skills to being digitally literate. And we've taken it as Mido and said, our understanding is that it's much broader than just being digitally literate. Now, a digitally literate person is somebody that can use the myriad of tools that we have available to us, like YouTube, Google, search engines, you know, and create and search and be active online. That is what being digitally literate means. And digital citizenship and why we chose to take the position of digital citizenship. In South Africa, our needs are much broader than just being digitally literate. If you look at our unemployment figures, you'll realize that we need much more, something that is more um, gravitas than just being able to search YouTube. And for us, digital citizenship extends, if you search it online, you'll see that it has nine key elements or areas. Um, which extends to things like digital health, um, rights and responsibilities. And it speaks to a much broader spectrum of sort of digital needs, which I believe is crucial for our developing economy and democracy. If you think about rights and responsibilities online, and of course, a digital security is a very topical element of digital citizenship as well. So we've taken to the term digital citizenship because we believe in educating people or transforming people into digital citizens. We're actually doing our bit to bring along our sort of democratic dispensation. So you guys do a lot of training in this space of digital citizenship. I mean, if I'm an adult now, I had skills 20 years ago, but I can very well find myself illiterate in this new environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, people are expecting you or adults to be, of course, banking online is almost a norm these days. And, um, you know, to send and receive information as part of your career, that's normal, that's the norm. But then we have people that are knowledge creators, and then we have people that are knowledge consumers or information consumers. And if you want to progress in your career where you're actually creating information for groups of people or in business, you need to step up your game. That means you need to be able to use your, your PowerPoint skills and integrate that with your emailing skills. And that, and even go as far as to create a website or a flyer. That is what is expected of a digital citizen these days. So you guys spend a lot of your time educating people about or transforming people from only citizens to digital citizens, if I understand yeah. it correct. Yes, Alan, there's, a, there's even a word, there's even a word for it. It's called digital natives. And that's where you, you're very young in terms of the knowledge that you have. We're definitely looking at transformation and empowerment. And one of the key things or fundamentals for bringing about this change is providing access and access to the networks, access to the internet. And that's one of the key aspects of empowering somebody to be a digital citizen. We don't own networks. We don't own 
Wi-Fi access and we have to partner with people that do. And that's one of the key things why I believe what will help us establish what we want to do in our vision. You just have amazing partnerships where everybody knows their role. So for us, it's training. For us, it's understanding how to get a young person in South Africa who's probably not got the highest literacy or numeracy and to assist that person through gamification, through digital citizenship and literacy to become or to create something more of themselves than they are currently. Okay. You know, one of the bad things, bad or good, is that Mm. COVID pointed out the digital inequalities. You know, if I think about the school shutdown, you know, the former model C schools could make the transition so easier, you know, they could quickly move online because of the inequality. So the digital inequality is very real in South Africa. How is your foundation addressing this digital inequalities? Because the gap seems to be growing by the day between the haves and the the never haves. Alan, we were at the coalface of, or if you want to call it, we were right up there trying to our best to be relevant as a technology enabler. You know, technology is not a solution in its own. It's just an enabler. And we realized right away that our teachers are going to be overwhelmed. They're going to have to get content to learners who doesn't have necessarily have computers, but they do have cell phones, smartphones. Through our database of schools, which is over 50 schools, we started looking for teachers who were innovating. You know, I, I've got this passion for South Africa and it's diverse thinking. Our people on the ground are absolutely fantastic at innovating. And we found teachers who were using WhatsApp, who were using tools to connect with learners that were inexpensive. And we latched onto that and we gave them a platform to train other teachers with that knowledge. And that's one of the ways, obviously through funding, we needed to be funded to do that. But that was one of the ways that we searched to solve a problem, which was, you know, as you said, we can't sit and moan and groan about the Model C schools having all the privilege. Yes, that's obvious. But if we don't come up with our own solutions for tackling these issues, then we're just going to sit and moan and grown and wait for solutions to come our way and they never do Mm. so from our side i know there was a huge movement between a few ngos to zero rate content in other words have content online that's not there's got no data fees tied to it so we were quite involved with advocating for that we also throughout digital hub spaces in schools we did our best to remain relevant through those spaces i'll mm-hmm. tell you a bit more about the digital hub space within a disadvantaged school now i know you guys are doing some incredible work in schools with the digital hubs and next week you'll yes. be watching one in paul tell us about this digital hubs of yours so One of the key barriers to enabling digital citizenship or literacy or computer skills is having access. For young people from disadvantaged communities, they need access. They need a space where they can walk in, have a computer or a tablet, and just be able to do what they need to do. Whether it's research for an assignment, filling out a CV, applying for university or technicon or a bursary. Those are some of the things that you need access to. And what we've come up with a few years ago is a concept where we transform a space within a high school. Specifically, that's how we started. To transform a space within a high school so that learners from that community would have access to this space and can be empowered as digital citizens. The space is very different from a computer lab. A computer lab in a school is rows and rows of computers. And Alan, as you know from experience in work, 
that's not what we have in offices. In offices, we've got collaborative environments. We've got environments where people sit around tables and discuss things and then use computers as tools to present. And we try and create those same type of environment within schools. They are more flexible, they're more agile, and they place the focus on thinking and using the computer as a tool rather than the other way around. Okay, so how many of these hubs did you set up in the short time? We're launching, I think, New Orleans and Paul is, is our ninth hub. Okay. And uh, we have hubs in townships, township schools like Nomzamo in Strand. Mm. And uh, we've got Gordon High, Lukov. And some of the great schools in our communities have been able or benefited from these hubs. So are you transforming then, for the lack of a better word, these boring computer labs, you're turning them into more interactive spaces for young people? Yes. Alan, there's a word that comes there is a learner-centric space. You know, a school where the education system is very much a system that focuses on the teacher leading the, the education, you know, from the front of the classroom. And again, you know, the world of work and technology requires a different type of person. It requires a person that wants to lead themselves, which brings it in direct conflict with what we are doing in schools to a certain extent. And we want to encourage all these skills for 21st century work. So the hub, the digital hub space is a learner-centric space. It is not designed to have a teacher at the front. It's designed to have the teacher as a supportive role in the space, but the space is for the learner or the youth to come in and to express themselves through technology. Technology, whether that is with designing a website, composing a new song, playing around with sound, robotics coding. That's what the space is designed for. Yes, we do have structured curriculum as well for digital citizenship, but we want the learners to, you know, young people should be able to enjoy space out of their own. Mm. We shouldn't be able to force them into it. So does this happen then during school hours or is it also accessible after school? Yes, it's accessible after school hours. That was the initial design of the hub, that it's accessible after the school but we found that it only attracted a small number of learners diverse group but very small number obviously when you're a non-profit and you're funded you need to show impact and you need to show that young people are coming into the space you know sort of bums on seats and what we've done is we've negotiated with schools to include the hub space or the hub into their school period or curriculum okay and this has given us the opportunity to extend what the hub has to offer to much more learners in the school. So they could technically be learning garage band and they could be composing songs. It's all about creativity of the young people. Yeah, I would love the young people just to express themselves. The space does have connectivity to the internet. It has tablets and there's most importantly a hub coordinator, which is a young person from that school community that's that's finished matric, that's sort of wanting to progress into a new career, but hasn't got around to do something and we recruit those hub coordinators as we call them hub co's to be a peer learning support i'm not a academic but i know that peer learning support is really huge in terms of you know getting young people or people to progress we support that in our hub space okay fantastic now i'm going to come to my main question now warming you up now what about <laughs> local government you are operating into the space do you collaborate and work with local government Holland, we've not done that yet 
we've been, like you said, we've been warming up to it. I think there's a fantastic opportunity that awaits for, for this ecosystem to be unlocked. I look at, for instance, I've served in my own community. I've served as a ward committee member and I serve as the ratepayers chairman. Mm. And the big thing about mobilizing communities information is just having information flowing from the municipality to the community and the community having access to services and being knowledgeable about where they stand in terms of their their services. A couple of years ago, I worked on a tender for another company and I was really intrigued by the Western Cape government speaking about connected citizens, connected communities and connected government as a few pillars of building the community. And I believe Digital citizenship is key to that. You know, if we could train ward councillors and train ward committee members to be digitally enabled, that would speed up decision making. It would all liberate information. There's such a lot of data that's being collected by organisations. And if we make better decisions, I believe we implement better communities. Yeah, but I'm saying um, the so infrastructure is already mm-hmm. there. If you look at the Tucson centres. Yes. Should we not taking your hub idea to these two song centers and transforming those centers and selling this gospel of, of digital citizenship? I think you are right. What I've learned is that we should form ecosystems. So a two-song center would be a really strong appeal and it's a structured solution by government. And I think it has a huge role to play. It, however, still needs to have that learner-centric talk. It needs to have a bit of a shift. I want to use the word a bit of a freedom in terms of expression. That's what the hub offers, is a freedom of expression. Digital citizenship for me, there's three levels that we quantified into, and I think that could help the way we look at the government and local government interaction. First one is we need to enable digital literacy, level one. Just make sure somebody can send an email, get online. That's basic, first steps. Level two for me is that same person now can create information, whether it's a document or a PowerPoint slide or a flyer for their church to show that they're having a bazaar on a certain day. That's crucial. Or as a small business person, advertise their goods. Level three for me is the innovation. Now, these are this is the space where you find people that can really unlock the power of by coming up with fantastic solutions for societal challenges. I'm having a booking system. Let's say in our communities, we've got a lot of senior citizens that are dotted all over the community that's sitting at home that needs support. We could have an app that shows where these people are and provide that information to, to song centers. So that would be a level three solution when working with government. For instance, I'm using that as an example. Okay, no, that sounds fantastic. And I hope if anybody out there is listening to, please get in touch with you. We need, you know, as local government, we need innovative new ways of doing things. Which brings me to my second last question. If you look at technology, it's going at rapid speed. I mean, the world like we know today is completely different than 10 years ago. Mm. The things that we're doing with technology now, like, for example, this interview, where is this going? You know, and what do you see in the future in terms of technology? You know, I think it all goes around in circles. I love, I think it was this biblical, one of the great kings that said that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the technology for me as South Africans, we've got this huge ability to form small communities. We've got this ability to, you know, have Ubuntu communities. And technology for me, if we can use technology to empower that sort of ground level work, we can scale it because that's what technology can do. So let me give an example of that. If you have a community, a rural community, that's 
able to produce something and you create a website and a shipping, getting that product to market that may be hundreds of kilometers away. It could be an oil, it could be a natural product. I don't know what it is. So instead of us changing who we are, we're using technology to enable us. And I believe we've got such a lot to offer in this country. I'm amazed by the call center industry that's using South Africans who speak English much better than a lot of the counterparts in the world to form a base of economy, for instance, in the Western Cape. So we've got to look at opportunities. We don't have to fear the technology. We've got to embrace it. We're not going to lose jobs. I believe if we as South Africans apply our minds, we can take our products to market and create jobs. MIDO, yes. what does the MIDO stand for? It stands for me doing. The I is obviously a play on technology, you know, internet. Okay, so uh, me doing. Yeah, me doing. So when you're part of Mido, you're part of our ecosystem and we all love doing and bringing change. For us, it's about creating pathways out of poverty. I like that. So local government, if you're listening, please get in touch with Mido Technologies. Is there a website? Is there a yeah. cell number? Is there a WhatsApp? How do people get in touch with you, Dale? Well, the website is quite straightforward. It's mido.co.za. That's the technologies business. And then the mido.org.za is for the Mido Foundation. Fantastic. Mm. So all the best with your work. We're looking forward to collaborating and connecting you with local government. Awesome. Thank you for your platform. Thank you, Dale. That was Dale who was spreading his gospel of digital citizenship and saying that we are learning all the time. We're lifelong learners. Thank you so much for your time and all the best with your launch of the Hub next week. Thank you very much and thanks for having me on this podcast. To the amazing and talented Great Governance team, audio engineer Bandila Kosa, the voice Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great, right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn.